0: The Paul Leslie Hour. Helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And on this episode, we are joined by one of the absolute legends in music. Dick Hyman is a pianist, organist, arranger, performing and recording artist, musical director, it's a great pleasure to welcome you here.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be talking with you.
0: Likewise. I think if there's one word that could describe your musical career, it would be yeah. prolific.
1: Oh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's still going on, though. It's prolific, all right. Sometimes it's uh, a little overwhelming, but uh, we we continue.
0: What has always been the purpose of the art you create?
1: Oh, what a question! The purpose? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is this an interview or a psychoanalysis?
0: <laughs> Maybe a little of both.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the purpose was just to uh, see how I could uh, see how I could do it better. I guess that's about it. Just try it, or, or keep on polishing it. See what happens next.
0: Would you call yourself a perfectionist,
1: yeah, a perfectionist, <laughs> but a realist also There are things that that you must you must have over expectations of things that there is such a thing as a physical uh power ability i mean you <laughs> you can't be on a hundred percent all the time you know i once i once i took lessons with Teddy Wilson. This is a little ap- apropos, if you don't forgive my wandering a bit. Teddy Wilson was my teacher. uh I'm very proud of that. You remember Teddy, the uh, great pianist who played with Benny Goodman and other people. In the Oh, from the 30s, 40s, and uh, then went on to so a soul after that. Anyhow, he took a lot of students in New York, where I'm from. And at one point, I remarked to him, because we'd gotten to be pretty confidential friends, And I remarked to him, you know, I played pretty well on some days, and then the next day I played bad. What can I do about that? And he said, that's why you practice. And it is such an elemental point uh, to be made to any student from a teacher that it kind of overwhelmed me, and I still think of it, uh, and that really I've conducted my life like that.
0: Who would you say has taught you the most about music?
1: Well, it was partly Teddy, and it was partly my uncle, who was a concert pianist named Anton Rovinsky. And uh, he was very active in the 20s and 30s, and into, into the 40s. And then uh, he concertized less, but he did continue to teach, and I, I was his his student also. I learned a lot about piano playing from him. Not as much as I might have, but a lot. And then the uh, third member of this uh, distinguished trio you're you're forcing me to to acknowledge now was, I think, my big brother, who was six years older than I and who really introduced me to... uh, swing, and then classic jazz, and brought home a vast collection of old 78 RPMs, which is what we used in those days. And I've I've familiarized myself with those records and the repertory of the 1920s and 30s, which is before my time, really. I'm old, but I'm not that old. And so I know, I know, I know very well the music of the 20s and uh, the music of the 30s. And it was on account of my brother's uh, guidance along those lines. So there you have it.
0: It occurs to me, with your brother, with this other family member of yours that you said taught you a lot, and then also... Yeah, my uncle. Yeah, your uncle, that's it. And then also, uh, your other relative, who's also a a pianist, Bill Charlo.
1: Oh, well, Bill. Bill is a comparatively new development, but I'm really delighted that he has come so far and he's I've known him since he was 16 you know he's, he's considerably younger than, than I am but we are third cousins once removed if you want to use the complete genealogical term for it not quite sure what's removed means <laughs> but th- that's what we are he and I uh, have have worked together in the in re- last several years we've done some two piano spots together, and we have a great meeting of the minds. It's a pleasure to, to uh, improvise together with him. He, he's a wonderful, wonderful player.
0: Absolutely. I listened to the album he did with Tony Bennett. Great, great recording. Yes,
1: well, he he told me the other, other day that they have made another one. They've made a Gershwin album, and uh waiting to hear what that's like.
0: Thank God. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yeah. Do you think music is in your blood? Oh, I don't know.
1: Some people can do one thing; some people can do another. <laughs> I, I was good friends, and still I'm good friends with a fellow back back in high school. He was a big athlete—football, baseball, and so forth. <laughs> none of it, none of it ever got to me. But we we remained lifelong friends. Some do this, this, some do that.
0: As you mentioned a bit earlier, you're from New York originally. Right. If you could kind of paint a picture with words, what life was like growing up?
1: Well, I was born in New York City and grew up there until, oh, I don't know, when I was about 10, no, about, when I was about, 11 or 12, I think, we moved to the suburb of Mount Vernon, which is directly on the border of New York, and I really grew up there, but of course, from New York, from Mount Vernon, New York, is only a train ride, or even even simpler, a a subway ride from the end of the subway line right down Times Square and Greenwich Village and all that.
0: And tell us about your parents.
1: Well, my parents were uh, oh, they were loving and kind and nice, and uh, made sure that that I didn't drop out of college, and made sure I could, got my degree. And then they were all for my going into the music music game, but they made very sure that uh, that I got that I graduated. That that was their great influence, among others.
0: Were they people who loved music?
1: Yes, uh, my mother was. uh, My father less so, but he he respected music and musicians. My mother was musical, and she played piano, and she ran a summer camp for girls very early, and she was always one of the uh, song leaders and the uh, music educators at the camp. So, yes, she... She, of course, she shared some of that talent with her her brother, my uncle, whom I mentioned before, uh, Rubinsky, the one who taught me.
0: You were mentioning earlier about the fact that you were aware of some of the eras that were before you. And if you look at your recordings, you've really, really immersed yourself in a lot of eras in American music and a lot of types of American music. What era of American music, from your ears, do you think is the most interesting?
1: Well, they're all interesting. It's not a matter of, well, I would say interesting to me, because they're all interesting to somebody, you know. But uh, to me, I, 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 the most interesting ones are the ones that I've been involved in. And slightly before, uh, that is to say the music of the 1920s. But there were still a lot of people playing more or less in that way when I was coming up, and I connected with them and played with them. And there there still is a lot of revival interest in keeping that that old kind of stuff alive, and I'm I'm all in favor of that. But uh, some people favor one thing and some another. I love the music on my old 78 RPM records, and if anything... I have to uh, prevent myself from listening to it too much. I, I know, I know, maybe a little too much about every sixteenth note on all of those records by Big Spider, and Jelly Roll Morton, and people like that. Have to, have to, have to suppress a little of that fondness in order to uh, make your way forward and get up to today, of course.
0: This might be a bit of a curveball, but what do you think of the music of Stephen Foster?
1: That's an interesting question. Well, it's part of our American heritage, and uh, it, it's it's part of that uh, tradition we all go back to. It's, I don't know. I was raised on that. I don't know if they still do that in schools now, but we learned uh, Swanee River, and we learned uh, old folks at home and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's fine. It's fine for what it was. Foster was a great uh, writer of songs would have been interesting to hear if he had uh, written anything in the realm of uh, concert music, but to my knowledge, he did not.
0: When we look at your recordings, there's been a lot of, I guess you could say, portraits where you would record the music of some of these great songwriters, Irving Berlin, Cole Porter, uh, of course, the Gershwin, Harold Arlen. Who do you think Mm -hmm. is the best composer?
1: nobody is the best <laughs> nobody is the best but uh my favorite composers are uh the ones you mentioned and well i wasn't the only one doing that it was uh it was it was a very saleable item in the and still to make uh recordings of uh one composer we we moved on now we we try to uh emulate Stephen sondheim for example and uh Leonard Bernstein, these are great composers too, but back in the day as you say, it was Gershwin and Arlen, Rogers and Hart, Irving Berlin and so forth.
0: We're joined by pianist, performing and recording artist, Dick Hyman. I wanted to ask you about the very first time you went into a recording studio. What are your memories Uh, of that?
1: Well, I'd have to say that I began recording before I went into a recording studio, because back in high school, one of my friends had a recorder, and uh, we used to, a uh, couple of us, three of us in particular, would gather around and record on the on the, the little acetate 8-inch discs that, that you were supplied with in those days. And I still have those records, and they're they're a lot of fun to listen to. But the first recording I can remember making, God, I don't know if I actually can remember. Maybe one of them was with an orchestra I played with while I was in college. A little bit. Well, I, I mean, I played with him a little bit while I was in college, and that was a band leader named King Guyon. King Guyon prided himself on having a double rhythm section, and two drums and two basses. Only one pianist. I don't think there was more than one guitarist. Band. Probably there was one. And uh, I, I did a, f- a few dates with him, and I think among the other things I did, this was back when I was still in college, we, uh, we recorded. I believe that was my first recording, or at, at least very, very early on the list.
0: When did you begin working with Benny Goodman?
1: Well, the first time that I played with him, I believe, was on the trip. Uh, He took us to Europe, and uh, I believe it was an eight-week tour with a sextet. The sextet included... Roy Eldridge, and a bunch of us who were much younger. But Roy, Roy of course, was Benny's contemporary. And the band included uh, Zoot Sims, Eddie Shaughnessy, the drummer, Nancy Reed, the uh, singer, Charlie... just can't think of his last name, an English fella. And uh, Toots Thielman was the uh, guitarist. So that that was the first time that I worked for Benny. And I, outside of uh, meeting him in an elevator once with my big brother when I was a little kid, that and that itself was a, was a thrill. That was that was the first time that I knew him. I continued to work with Benny occasionally after that. Made a few recordings with him. One of them was a session with Rosemary Clooney, which I remember very well. I was with him on his final or next-to-final broadcast. He died within a year after that also. So I guess I ran the spam. But I was not his only pianist, and I did not work with him all the time by any means, just occasionally.
0: Were you at all in awe of him?
1: Absolutely, and still am. Oh, absolutely. I dig out those old records, and I continually find things he did that are Wonderful uh, in in some ways. Ken Popowski, the clarinetist with whom I frequently work, is also a greater admirer of Benny. And uh, I set aside certain old records that I've uh, discovered or rediscovered, and i like to play them for Ken, who appreciates them as much as
0: I do. Something you've mentioned a few times now is listening to records and your yeah. collection of records. How important is listening?
1: Listening is is almost... Well, listening is as important as playing, because when you're playing with people, you are listening to them, you're reacting to them, you're trying to cooperate with them, to support them, to suggest ways that uh, you will... directions that you will both improvise and Listening is very important, and for some people, of course, listening is the whole thing. They're not musicians, uh, but they're and they're expert in history, and they know far more than, uh, than I do about ins and outs of uh, development and this and that. But I think in order to be a good player, you have to be a good listener.
0: Going back to Benny Goodman, isn't it true that you had some experience with clarinet playing yourself?
1: Well, I did. When I was a kid, I played clarinet in the marching bands at school. And when I was in the Navy in World War II, briefly, uh, I was only in a little over a year. The war was over then. I played clarinet in that band for a while, in the band in Great Lakes Naval Training Center. I still have the instrument. I haven't, haven't played it in uh, some years now. But uh, <laughs> the same old instrument is there. And I learned a few things from that, too, from focusing on the orchestra. I mean, really, that's the study of orchestration right there. Is, it's very helpful to be able to play at least one other instrument than the piano if you want to learn how to orchestrate. I wish I played a lot more. I wish I played a uh, a string instrument, a violin in particular. But that's, that's a lifetime's work. But you learn what you can, and I have many orchestration books which help me fill in the gaps of my own training. And then I've hung around musicians; I've played so much in orchestras of all kinds that I have a and have known musicians who played everything in the orchestra. that is, it's been an education all the way through.
0: You have recorded quite a few duo albums, and in keeping with clarinet. And you had mentioned him earlier, Ken Poplowski. Yeah. I'm hoping you can tell us about your work with him, the album E Pluribus Duo.
1: Yeah, Ken and I have made a couple of albums together. Together, And in particular, Ken and I have have gone in a direction of uh, of improvisation by both of us. And we feel that we feel that uh, what we sometimes arrive at when we're both improvising and listening to the other person and going off into some area that we hadn't expected to, we feel that's one of the nicest things to happen. And uh, I recently had another experience the other day, a guitar, a Brazilian guitarist came down to visit me. A friend brought him. His name is Diego Figueroa. And he's a wonderful player. He happened to be in the area for a while. I live in Venice, Florida, which is near Sarasota. He was in Sarasota. I think he was playing there or around there. He came down and we we jammed for an hour. We had never met each other. But we both had a great simpatico. And I look forward to the next time I, I meet him. So this kind of thing happens. It doesn't always happen. Two people don't always head it off. It's like a relationship between uh two people in any sphere. But sometimes you get lucky and you meet somebody who's really a friend. And for musicians that's a great feeling.
0: Well, what do you look for in a creative partner?
1: Uh well, I look for uh, an area of uh, expertise that is comparable to what I have, so that we can both do things and and so that we we uh, lead each other into uh, ever more interesting areas of of experimentation and of course, it's not just uh, improvising and experimenting; we're also playing tunes and we're also referring to uh, certain other things that have both know certain traditions certain other players whom we're quoting, sometimes literally, or we are playing something out of respect to that tradition. So that's, that's what people do. It's, it's like uh, people who can tell each other stories in a way, but uh, they unite in being able to sing together. Put it that way.
0: In addition to your recordings, your performances, you're also known as a film score composer. This question comes from my wife. She mm. says, What's the key to writing music for a film? How do you find the right tone?
1: Well, it's, it's not always easy, because very often the film is in the process of being made when you are called on to get some music together or to show the direction of the music. If the film is already made, then you, it's a fait accompli, and you just, that that's it. You, you, you do what you think, and what the director thinks is appropriate. You try one thing, or you try another. Uh, but if the film is still being made, you have to have a lot of guidance from the director, who is the only one, the only person, who really knows the direction the film is supposed to have in the end? And even the writer of the film doesn't always know because their director can overrule him and change, change the uh, the manner of the film in some in- interesting and important ways. So you ha- you have to. It's a committee thing. You just don't do this all on your own. You have to talk. And in the case of Woody Allen, we often did that, and other people whom I've, I've, I've written for. You have to make sure you're going in the the same direction. I imagine it's the same thing with any joint project.
0: I have to say, you mentioned Woody Allen, and you've worked with Woody Allen on so many of his movies. In terms of filmmakers that have memorable and incredible uses of music, the first one that would come to my mind would be Woody Allen. Yeah. How did you come to be acquainted with Woody Allen. What put you two together?
1: I have to think about that. Woody, you know, on the whole, considering his his total output of films, which is immense, he's used recordings more than he has original music by me or by anybody else. So he has a very... And he is a very uh, uh, knowledgeable guy when it comes to old popular and old jazz music he He knows what what suits him, and perhaps certain recordings in fact push him in the direction of certain of, of uh, writing or directing that he wants. I think that probably and i can 't be absolutely sure probably I was in one of the probably i was just a In fact, it's beginning to come back to me. I was a piano player in one little session which was organized for one of Woody's early films. I played some kind of background music in that. I don't know what it was. Uh, Maybe it was a tinkling of a piano in a barroom scene or something like that. And from that, I got to know him and I got to know his office and they began to call me for similar things and to write write, uh, this and that. And I think that I really contributed something to the film, if you remember the old film called Zelig. Oh, yeah. Which had quite a bit of original music in it by me, songs even. I wrote lyrics, too. They suited the film, and uh, I was communicating well with Woody and his director.
0: One of the movies that I think just had incredible music there's so many of them, but the first one that comes to my mind would be sweet and low down.
1: Yeah, well, of course, Woody had a had a very interesting idea from the point of view of uh, of uh, jazz history. Then he was thinking in the background, I think, of Django Reinhardt, the uh, the French gypsy guitarist, and making a comedy of sorts out of that sort of character. So, you know, I, kn- I knew that era of jazz history, and I knew that sort of thing. And I had an idea of where Woody was going. He didn't do this, literally. It wasn't at all a biography of Django Reinhardt. But it was the idea of that sort of slightly crazy but wonderfully talented guitarist. And uh, if you have a collaboration with anyone, you have to pick up on what the person is really after even if he doesn't quite say it. You you supply what you think is appropriate, and you go along with him, and you say, well, I think you mean this, and then in my case, I can always Ill- illustrate what I mean if I go to a keyboard and play something, and that, that's the way of collaboration for me, at any rate.
0: What did you think of Woody Allen's personality?
1: Well, Now, I want to say that I haven't worked with Woody for about eight years. I haven't done any of the recent films. But Woody's personality was surprisingly encouraging to the other person with whom he might be dealing to uh, bring forth original ideas. He's a fine collaborator and wants to know generally what you think he doesn't tell you this is what we're going to do and leave it at that. He wants to know what you think about this, and then you build on that idea. And so, in in that fashion, I believe I got along well with Woody, and I was I was honored to be able to work with him for, for as long as I did.
0: Did you ever perform with him?
1: Yes, you know, for for twenty years I ran a a summertime concert series at the 92nd Street Y in New York City. And we would put together programs and occasionally, and, well, and frequently ask people to uh, come and play with us. And in the case of Woody, I uh, asked him to have his, uh, have a separate evening to himself and bring his own band. At that point, I'm not sure about now, at that point he was often appearing with a band that he had selected. And, and later on, I know he went on tour on tour in Europe with them. But at any rate, we had Woody as the, uh, the, as the leader of his group on one of the concerts at the 92nd Street Y. And I sat in with him. I did play with him. I think that's the only time.
0: Not a Woody Allen movie, but another movie that I think had some of the most Incredible music that you provided would be moonstruck. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that work. Well, moonstruck
1: was a, was directed by a uh, Canadian director named Norman Jewison. And he uh he contacted me and we we understood each other and he too was a very a very wonderful collaborator. He suggested things. And I have great admiration for directors. It's not only that they know quite a bit about music, which I can verify. They know about many other things too, and they have to keep the whole whole thing going. And uh, the, the, their virtuosity is something really uh, tremendous. So Norm, Norman Jewison and I... Uh, Worked together on that, and that's about all I can tell you about it. We recorded the film actually in Toronto. It was, a, basically, it was a Canadian production, although the locale appears to be in New York, and certain of the great scenes feature, uh, uh, New York, uh, skylines, including, memorably, the, the, uh, the trade towers, the Twin Towers. But most of the other filming was done in Canada. And the recording, as I say, was done in Toronto.
0: As you mentioned earlier in the interview, these days you're down in Venice, Florida. Correct. Tell us about that part of the country. What is it like?
1: Well, although we've had an uncomfortable cold snap recently, uh, the main thing about Florida and Venice, Florida, in particular, is that uh, the weather is nice. That's why people love Florida. And really, it's one big reason why we decided to move here altogether. We had lived in New York and New Jersey entirely up until that point. But then we began to vacation in Florida, and we got a place down here in Venice. And one thing or another, I was able to switch things around and, and work my home in Florida much more. So I go to New York fairly often now, but... I no longer feel I have to be there on a daily basis. So down in Florida, we uh we there are many uh many retired people in Florida as well known for that. But that's not the only thing. they are just um it's it's a pleasant way of life.
0: Do you find it to be a creative community?
1: Well, I know many many people here who are uh, I know many musicians in particular. And I play with them. And I'm about, I am about to, uh, a little later in February now, I'm about to perform with an orchestra we put together and uh, perform a clarinet concerto, which I've written for Ken Poplowski. And we'll do other things. We'll do our duet format. And, uh, we'll also play a sextet for strings, piano and clarinet which I wrote a number of years ago which Ken plays expertly. And so uh there are plenty of people here who appreciate music and, and who perform it. And that's that's the thing I'm preparing for these days is that date on February 24th down here down here in Venice.
0: Did you know the late Larry Elgard?
1: Well, I did know Larry. I arranged for him. Uh I became one of his arrangers. Around the time that he began to have pretty big success, not that he hadn't been a successful band leader before, but he had began to have record success. I'm happy to say that I was one of the arrangers who gave him that that help. And he also uh, moved down to Florida. Unfortunately, Larry died a few years ago.
0: Yeah, I know that it's very difficult to ask any kind of musician or a composer, to pick a favorite song? You almost never get a straight answer there. But if you had to pick one song to represent you, or one melody, what would it be?
1: Well, it's not the only song, of course, but the the song that unfailingly never always works for me is All the Things You Are. And for many musicians, it is that song, because it not only does it have a, a lovely, uh, graceful melody, but it has a harmonic setup which is so interesting and so far above most other popular songs that no, most musicians I know have to uh, have to master that song and be inspired by it. It's one of the things I played the other day, as I was telling you, with Diego Figueroa, the... Uh, Brazilian guitarist. We both knew that, and that song works for me.
0: And that's a Jerome Kern song, isn't it?
1: Right, Jerome Kern, and um, was it Dorothy Fields? No, I'd have to. I have to check. I can't quite remember who wrote the lyrics to that.
0: Might have been Hammerstein.
1: Well, it might have been. I'll look it up as soon as we finish our little talk. <laughs>
0: What is the best thing about being Dick Hyman?
1: Oh, come on now. How can I answer that? <laughs> <laughs> the best thing? Oh, all right. I, I will answer it. The best thing about uh, uh, being Dick Hyman is that I'm still married to the woman I met about 70 years ago, and <laughs> we still go through life together. That is my wife, Julia.
0: Very nice. So, Kind of as we're wrapping up here, I'll just give you the microphone. We're going to reach people from all corners of the globe. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in?
1: Oh, I don't think I'm equal to that task. <laughs> uh, what, what can I say? I don't know. I would say uh, uh, we should all uh, love everybody and try to get along and, uh, and uh, do what's right. That's I'm not that much of a philosopher that I can really answer that question.
0: <laughs> well, my last question for you is admittedly kind of philosophical. Who is Dick Hyman?
1: Well, Dick Hyman at this point is a 91 year old guy who's very grateful that he's uh, still able to uh, play the piano and or uh, and, and write music and do whatever he does. And, uh, grateful that his, his family is, uh, I have grandchildren. His family is, uh, is, uh, quite a bit of it is now down in Florida with us. And, uh, we, that's, that's very important to us to keep those ties strong.
0: Anyone out there can visit the website. It's dickhyman.com, the official Dick Hyman website, H-Y-M-A-N. I really am very grateful for this opportunity. Thank you very much for sharing with us.
1: Well, it's been a lovely time. I uh, thank you. I uh, thank you for your sometimes surprising, <laughs> demanding questions. But they're all, they're all relevant and important, and I uh, appreciate that you asked me that. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.